0: Hey church, it's great to be with you again this week. My name is Dave, I'm one of the pastors at Cedar Mill, and before we dive into our sermon this morning, I want to talk with you just a little bit about where we're headed in terms of teaching over the next few months. Today we're going to finish up the little mini-series we've been doing in Elijah, and his life, and then next week we're starting a brand new series where we're going to explore the life and book of Daniel. And I am so excited about this series, so get ready, invite your friends, join in with us, and be a part of it. It's going to be a lot of fun. But back to today. Elijah has been being prepared by God for this big moment of faith, this this challenge he's going to face on Mount Carmel, and God's been putting him through some training. First of all, in the Kareth Ravine, then he goes to Sidon to meet up with this widow and her son, and Elijah's been getting ready. Elijah's name, by the way, I don't think I've mentioned this before, means the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And that's Elijah's mission. That's his goal, to convince the nation of this one truth. So Elijah goes to the mountain to face the 450 prophets of Baal and the additional 400 prophets of Asherah. And I just have to say, this is an epic story. I preached a message on this moment in Elijah's life a couple summers ago. If you want to go back and refresh yourself, it's in the Elements series. Just look it up on the website. It's the sermon called Fire. Or, even better yet, just grab your Bible and you can read the account yourself in 1 Kings chapter 18. But you will not be disappointed. There's tension, there's conflict, there's trash talk, there's a massive display of God's power. It really is sort of the climax of Elijah's story and ministry. And you would think, after a victory like this, after a demonstration of faithfulness and fortitude and force from the Lord of this magnitude, that Elijah would have so much faith and trust in God that you couldn't shake him. I mean, how could he not trust the Lord fully after all that? And yet, Elijah is just like you and me. And he has to come down off the mountain and back to real life again. And that's the story I want to look at this week. Elijah coming down off the mountain. Because I believe that's where many of us are today. You know, last week was Easter Sunday, and we gathered online to declare and to celebrate the resurrection, the defeat of death and victory over the grave, and how God won this enormous battle on our behalf it was this big moment, but now, here we are again, back down from the mountain, back to quarantine realities, back to pandemic realities, back to economic uncertainties. And this morning, I want to learn from Elijah about what it looks like to come down from the mountain. And maybe today we're going to learn from some of Elijah's mistakes so that we don't make the same ones. First Kings chapter 19, that's where we're going to be. This morning. So if you have a Bible, grab it, turn to 1 Kings 19 with me. And as you turn, I want to remind you kind of where we are. I want to catch you up just a little bit because what happens at the end of chapter 18 sets up our story for today. Elijah has just defeated all the false prophets, he's just taken them down with God. And then he turns to King Ahab and he tells him, King Ahab, the rain is coming. So Ahab in preparation for the rain, and after all that's happened, jumps in his chariot, and he begins the long long ride back to Jezreel. But then we're told this, and this is the very last verse of chapter 18, verse 46. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So chapter 18 ends with Elijah so jazzed up, so empowered by the Lord, that he defeats a chariot in a 16-mile race. There doesn't seem to be anything that can get this guy down. He is pumped. 1 Kings chapter 19, here's where we dive in. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. You see, this is the Elijah who defied a king, who survived by ravens and a brook in the desert during a drought. This is the Elijah who raised to life the dead son of a widow by the power of God. This is the Elijah who defeated 850 false prophets on the mountain. And now this same man, after seeing all that power, after experiencing all God's faithfulness, runs after one threat from one queen. Friends, this turn of events is actually so sudden in Elijah's life that many Old Testament scholars are convinced that this story is out of place, that this incident must have happened at a much later time. But I don't think so. I think it's told accurately. I believe the Bible is just being real here because this is simply how life so often works. None of us can stay on the mountaintop forever. None of us, not you, not me, not Elijah, can live with a constant spiritual high. And sometimes it's after an unbelievable, adrenaline-filled, record-setting run of achievement and faith and spiritual success that you find yourself most vulnerable to doubt and fear and depression and discouragement. And that's exactly what happens with Elijah. As high as he gets in chapter 18, he gets equally as low in our chapter today. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, you see, he's fleed to the south, he's left his nation, he's left the northern tribes, Israel, and now he's gone somewhere else, he's gone south to Judah. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom bush and fell asleep. I don't know about you, but our family has had a few I've had enough moments in the last numbers of weeks. Maybe at the lowest point, uh, one member of our family, one of our kids, hit another one of our kids in the head with a pillow and screamed, Go die in a pit. That was a moment that needed some reconciliation. It was a low point. But maybe like you, we've had some frustrations. We've had some disappointments. We've experienced fear and anxiousness at times. We've had some times of grief over what we've seen friends and family members going through in this season. And that's where Elijah is. He's had enough. He is over it he's done we notice in verse 3 that the author tells us that he leaves his servant elijah is not a rich guy he doesn't have servants elijah is a prophet he's a ministry guy and so this servant is his staff this is his ministry staff he's dismissing him and what he's essentially saying is i'm done i'm through i quit the ministry i'm out and the question is, why does Elijah feel this way? Why the sudden change of a heart? What has him so discouraged? Well, I'm going to back up a little bit and pose another question to help us answer that question. Here it is. Here's my question. Why does Elijah, right after this big victory on the mountain, decide to tuck in his tunic into his belt and sprint to Jezreel. I mean, have you ever wondered that? Because it's, it's sort of a weird response to end up in this race with the chariot. I mean, why does he go to Jezreel? Jezreel was the capital city. It's where Jezebel is. Ahab is on his way there. They both want to kill him, and yet this is where Elijah decides to go. Why? Well, friends, here's what scholars think, and I believe them, I think they're right. It's because Elijah believes that this victory he's won on the mountain has changed everything. I mean, not only has he defeated all the false prophets, but now it's also started raining at his word, um, at his prayer to the Lord. So Elijah believes that Ahab and Jezebel are certainly now going to repent They're going to say, Elijah, you were right all along. Please forgive us. You were correct. The Lord, he is God. I mean, the people are certainly at this moment going to turn back to the Lord. Friends, Elijah is running to the capital city for the big victory celebration, for the people to gather in the streets and dance and shout and cheer and celebrate and turn back to the Lord. That's why he's going there. That was his plan. But instead, he gets to Jezreel, and what does he experience? A declaration from the palace that there is a bounty on his head that that he will certainly be dead in 24 hours. What? I can just imagine the shock, the disappointment. But Lord, I did everything you asked of me. Things went exactly how you said they would go. I trained and prepared and trusted you. I stepped out in faith and I thought and believed. I was certain that you were going to use this moment, this huge victory to turn this nation back to you. Friends, let me ask you, have you ever asked God for something and had him not come through Have you ever believed or hoped or expected him to do something in your life only to have him do the opposite? Have you ever asked him for something or believed for something and then found that God seemed silent? If you've ever felt this way, then you understand how Elijah feels now. This this past week, our family gathered together for family movie night. We've been having a few of those in these last days. And uh, on this particular evening, we decided to watch a movie called I Still Believe, and it's the story of a famous Christian musician named Jeremy Camp. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you've heard some of his songs. And in this movie, they follow Jeremy's life, his early life, and it's really focused on some suffering and some struggles, some intense struggles that Jeremy and his new wife face together. And I recommend the movie if you want to sit around and just cry a lot together. That's what will happen. Um, but in this movie, maybe one of the most, most pointed points, uh, Jeremy has to figure out how to reconcile what he wanted from God and what he believed God was going to do with what God actually does do. And that can be a real hard thing. That can be a challenge. And in our story today, it actually leads Elijah to a crisis of faith. And he runs away, and he quits his ministry, and he says, God, I want to die. And then check out how God deals with him. I, I love our Lord. This is beautiful. Verse 5. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. I remember some years ago after what was one of the most intense times of trusting God and seeing Him work in my life, I came down off that mountain and actually ended up in a fairly intense depression. It was a really, really challenging season. And I remember going to a counselor friend of mine and talking with her, and as I poured out my heart and tried to explain what I was going through, the very first thing that she said to me after she listened was, I want you to go and get a physical. You see, before she just jumped to assuming that this was all an emotional issue or a spiritual issue, she said, let's just make sure that things are right physically. And as it turns out, they weren't. They weren't all right physically. And and that maybe wasn't the only issue, but it was a good start to get things physically in a good place. And friends, that's what the Lord does here for Elijah. He says, Elijah, let's get you in a good place physically so that you have the energy to tackle the emotional and the spiritual challenges that you're facing. Let me ask you, friends, Are you taking care of yourselves physically in these days? Are you eating well? Are you getting the right amount of sleep? Are you on a schedule? Are you exercising and getting outside? Because God cares about that stuff too. And it's so, so important because the physical is linked to the spiritual. Your physical life and your spiritual life are not separate. And so God sees that. and He wants Elijah to be physically healthy. And then Elijah gets up, he's strengthened by the food, and he travels 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, also in the Bible called Mount Sinai. And you might remember that this is where Moses goes to meet with God right after the Exodus. And so Elijah goes to this place because he wants to meet with God. He wants some answers. He wants to know, God, what are you up to? And when he gets there, when he gets to Mount Horeb, we read this. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? And I I was reading this week how important it is for us to understand that when God asks us questions like this, it's not because God wants information, like God's perplexed or he doesn't know. God knows, he knows everything. He knows exactly what's happening with Elijah, he knows more about what's going on with Elijah than Elijah knows about himself. But he asked this question as a way of inviting Elijah to think through his feelings. And this is God caring for Elijah emotionally. He says, Elijah, process with me what you're going through. Let's talk this out. And Elijah does. Elijah replies, it says in verse 10, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Do you ever notice how when you're anxious or afraid or upset or discouraged, you tend to exaggerate things at times, maybe even lose track of reality a bit? Does this happen with anyone else out there but me? Sometimes I respond this way when I'm feeling stressed or upset. And that's Elijah here. Everyone has rejected you and is killing your prophets. And and that's just not true. It's Jezebel and Ahab. And there are still many Israelites we find that are following God and that are faithful to God. But, But Elijah is being honest about how he feels. And he says to God, I did everything you asked me to do. I followed your lead. I went to the ravine. I went to Sidon and that widow and I gathered all the people on Mount Carmel and won the battle. And then God, you were supposed to use that to bring this nation back to yourself. I gave it my best shot, God. Maybe maybe I'm just not your guy. And so now, Finally, God, after giving Elijah a chance to, to vent and to talk and to work through some of his emotions, is going to meet and challenge Elijah spiritually. Verse 11 The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Friends, do do you see what's happening here? God is teaching Elijah and you and me a very important spiritual lesson, one that we all must learn on the other side of the mountain. God tells Elijah, I'm gonna reveal myself to you. I'm gonna show myself to you. And then comes this powerful wind and Elijah's thinking, this must be God. It isn't. And then comes the earthquake. This must be God. It isn't. And then comes the fire and Elijah's thinking, yeah, God has shown up in a burning bush in in the form of fire on a mountain before. This must be him this time. And it's not. And then this gentle whisper comes. And we're never told that this is the Lord. But what we are told is that Elijah pulls his cloak over his face. In other words, when the Lord shows up, his glory is so brilliant and so majestic and so holy that we cannot look at him. And so this is the scripture's way of saying, and yes, yes, God was in that gentle whisper." And sometimes when we talk about this passage, the message is, you know, This is our God. He shows up in quiet, subtle ways, not in loud, brazen ways. And that might be true, but I don't think it's the specific message here. What I believe God specifically is teaching Elijah and you and me in this moment is that he often shows up in unpredictable ways, in ways that we can't expect, in ways that we aren't often looking for. In other words, here's what God is saying to Elijah you don't always know how I'm going to show up. You can't always predict what my plan is, Elijah. You're depressed because you thought you knew my plan and that it failed, but maybe I'm doing something that you haven't seen and can't even imagine. Maybe, Elijah, the problem is you're trying to fit me into your plan, but instead, I want you to fit into mine. Friends, I, I believe we often do this with God especially in times of struggle and disappointment. God, why didn't you do what you were supposed to do? In other words, why didn't your will align with my will? In her book, Through Gates of Splendor, the famous Christian author Elizabeth Elliot says this. I love this quote. God is God. And if he is God, then there is no place safe except in his will. And that will will always be immeasurably, unspeakably, infinitely beyond any of your largest notions about what he's up to. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, now to him who is able, he's talking about God, not to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. You see, what Paul is saying there and what God is showing Elijah is that just because things Don't go the way we want or expect or hope for. That doesn't mean that God is not at work. That doesn't mean that he's abandoned his plan or that he's failed. No. God has bigger plans, plans that we don't expect and that we can't predict. And at the end of this chapter, God comes back to Elijah and he gives him another chance, another thing I love about our Lord. And God says this to Elijah, Elijah, there's still work to do. My plan is still moving forward and I'm still accomplishing my will for this people, for this nation. So here's what I need from you to go and play your part even when you don't understand and even when you can't fully see what I'm up to. And friends, maybe that's God's message for us today. Maybe... Instead of trying to figure out God's grand plan and what he's up to in these days that we're in, we are simply called to ask, God, what do you want from me today? Who do you want me to be today? How can I be a part of your will and your ways right now, even when I don't understand what's happening in the future? And friends, maybe we need just to confess to God that we don't have all the answers. Maybe we we need to lay our will and our plans down in order that we might accept His. Because I don't know what the future holds, and neither do you, but God does. And I can tell you this, because it says it right in Isaiah chapter 55, our thoughts are not His thoughts, and our ways are not His ways. Because if there's one thing about God that we do know, it's this. He uses the unpredictable to accomplish the powerful. He often uses the unpredictable to accomplish the powerful because who would have guessed on that Friday when Jesus was hanging and dying on that cross that God would use something so horrible to accomplish something so beautiful that he would take sorrow and turn it into joy, that he would use despair to create hope, that he would take death and use it to offer everlasting life to you and me. And so friends, let me say this to you as we close today. I don't know what God is doing in these days, but I do know this, he's doing something. He's at work and he has a plan. I know that he's accomplishing his good, pleasing and perfect will in this world and in my life. And in yours, and I know this—it's immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. So you just when you, so you just walk one day at a time. One day at a time with your Lord. Sometimes you'll see what he's up to. Sometimes he'll give you a glimpse. Sometimes he won't. Sometimes you'll get it right. Sometimes you'll get it wrong. But never forget this. His plans are bigger than your plans, but his plans are to work things together for his glory and your good in the end, and you can count on that. So let's pray, church, and let's get about following our God one day at a time. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your sovereignty, for your majesty, for your goodness, and for your power. Thank you that you are not small enough, Lord, to fit into our little finite minds and plans. Thank you, Lord, that our plans are are too small for you, that they're not creative enough for you, that they're not good enough for you, that they're not majestic enough for you, Lord. Help us to lay down control. Help us to lay down this idea that we know how things should be. And help us as your people to trust you and to follow you and to walk with you one step at a time. That's our prayer, Lord. That's our prayer together as your church and as your bride and as your kids. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we trust you. And we pray it in your name. Amen. God bless you, friends.